0: The
2: bowl almost sounded full, and Loki took deep breaths in preparation. He tried to adjust his hands, but they were bound and so numb he could hardly feel them scrape against the sharp rocks. His toes were frozen, his joints ached, his head pulsed. Every part of him was cold, but his forehead still beaded with sweat but none of this would compare to the pain that would come when the bowl was full. He was sentenced to this fate by the gods, by the very Aesir he once called friends. They had betrayed him, and he struck back with a violent revenge, one that demanded punishment. Now he lay in this terrible cave, bound here until the end of the world. Loki turned his head to look at Sigin, his wife, he allowed himself a soft smile.
1: Your arms must be made of steel by now. They did not tell you that by marrying the great Loki, you would become so incredibly fit.
2: Sigyn smiled back, but her eyes were sad, watching her husband, naked and shivering in the cold cave.
1: This situation always was and always will be, and thus what choice do I have but to joke for all eternity?
2: Sigyn furrowed her brow at her husband's cryptic comment, but she did not have much time to work it out because she looked down and saw that the bowl in her hands was full, nearly ready to spill over the sides.
3: My love, it's time. I must empty the bowl. (sighs) All
1: right, then. Do as you must.
2: Tears were already pouring out of Sigyn's eyes as she moved the bowl, as always, some poison sloshed over the bowl's edge and fell directly on Loki's bare skin. Loki's cries of pain were deep and haunting. He thrashed against his ghastly bonds as his neck bulged and sweat matted to his forehead. Sigin tried to hurry and empty the contents, but already the earth started to tremble and then to shake violently. This was the fate of the great god Loki, to remain bound and alone, facing insufferable pain until the coming of Ragnarok. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. We also now have merch. Head to parcast.com merch for more information. Today is our second episode on the Norse god Loki, a figure prevalent within the Norse mythology, but one whose motivations and purpose have been the subject of debate for hundreds of years. It's important to remember that the source material for Norse mythology is incredibly thin. The figure of Loki, in particular, is an extremely complicated character, and his motivations and overall position amongst the Norse gods is somewhat murky and a topic of great debate. In these episodes, we've taken a sympathetic stance towards Loki and tried to shape the story from his perspective, with a hope to understand his actions. One element is abundantly clear in the Norse mythos, that the prophecy of Ragnarok is a cloud hanging over all of the gods. Ragnarok, loosely translated to mean the twilight of the gods, is a time in which the nine worlds break. Terrible winters damn the land of humans, known as Midgard, to great famine. Great storms plague the worlds and the dead rise to fight each other. The Frost Giants will, for the first time, cross the Rainbow Bridge known as Bifrost, destroying it in the process. They'll enter into the heavens and begin a great battle with the gods. A battle which will claim most of the gods' lives. Loki, like all the gods, knows of his destiny. But perhaps it's constant and more real to him because of his most defining characteristic, intelligence. A Norse proverb from the Poetic Edda warns that to be too wise is to be doomed to unhappiness. If you know too much about your fate, you'll have a hard time finding joy in life. This is why the story of Loki grows progressively darker. It's foretold that he will be bound in a cave until Ragnarok. Poison will drip on his head, causing him immeasurable pain. He knows that the gods will be responsible for this fate. He knows, too, that his role in the apocalypse is immensely complex. Perhaps more than any of the other gods, Loki's intelligence forces him to constantly confront his terrible future. This is why Loki found himself visiting Jotunheim, the chaotic land of the giants, more and more often. His treacherous destiny felt as though it was encroaching on him and crushing him. He could almost feel the pain he would soon suffer in that dark cave. He experienced the gods' betrayal over and over, the look of anger on Thor's face, without even the thinnest shred of sympathy. He could not show it, but these things constantly occupied his mind. He found himself venturing often to the forests of Jotunheim, to Angbroda. Angbroda was a giant, yes, but she was beautiful, intelligent, and ruthless. Loki could speak his mind and let loose the darkness in his heart, the darkness that had built with every insult of the gods, every shameful moment of blame. He had gone to Angbroda three times, each time their passion had produced a child of power. They were children he was proud of, children destined to change the world, children he must hide from the gods at all cost. He wrapped his cloak tightly around him as he approached Asgard from the south.
4: You know, Loki, you do live in Asgard. You can simply walk through the front doors.
2: Loki nearly jumped, but held his composure. He turned slowly around to look Odin in his single eye.
4: I rather like the scenic route. Yes, Asgard is quite lovely in the pitch black.
2: Loki stared at his blood brother for a long moment. He knew he was found out. There was no sense feigning innocence. What happened next would be left to Odin and the other gods.
4: As you say, father. You may come out now, Tyr. The trickster is gone. Frey was right, then. He has been visiting Jotunheim and staying far too long for simple adventures. The fire god is hiding something. We must find out what it is. Do you think, could it be what you fear? Aye, Tyr. Ragnarok comes. Loki has given us the first warning.
2: Soon after Loki returned to Asgard, several gods departed on a pilgrimage. He knew where they had gone, but he had no time to warn Angbroda she must deal with their wrath on her own. Loki knew the prophecies as well as all the gods. He knew why they feared his children, but surely they would not be so cruel as to murder them while they were defenseless. When they returned, the gods were in a decrepit state. Even Thor's robes were ripped and dirt and bruises covered his body. Some limped and some held one lame arm in the other. Loki smiled to himself. Angbroda must have put up a hell of a fight. The gods who had gone to Jotunheim entered Odin's hall. Behind them, they dragged Loki's children, all bound in various ways. Yet despite the restraints, the hall of gods shrank into the shadows as they passed, afraid of the things they saw before them. They were cowards.
4: Behold, the children of Loki, son of Laufey by the giantess Angroda, brought before the old father for judgment.
2: Every eye in the hall turned towards Loki. He tried to look past Sigyn and his two sons by her, Narfi and Vali, but they looked at him with such intense pain and confusion. He met their gaze and held it, intending neither explanation nor apology, just acceptance. Yes, he had done this. It was something he needed to do. He would not be sorry for such actions.
4: Unbind the children. They are so young and you are proud gods of Asgard. Are these restraints truly necessary?
1: Well? We shall unbind the wolf and the girl, all father. But the snake, if we loosen his muzzle, he shall drip poison throughout the hall.
4: Yes, and I do suppose the mighty Thor is not sure-footed enough to avoid a few puddles.
2: Though Odin joked, Loki knew that a turbulent indecision raged within him. The Allfather's next words would determine the fate of all of them. Before him were Loki's children, but they were unlike any children that the gods had seen. Loki loved them each, but knew that the gods would call them monsters. The first was a snake called Jormungand. Though he was still young, the snake was already nearly as long as the hall. The second was a wolf called Fenrir. He stood to Tyr's right, as high as the god's waist. Tyr absentmindedly stroked the wolf, a gesture which Loki was surprised to see. The third was a girl named Hel. She was beautiful, radiant, and very strange. Half of her face resembled Loki, with her red hair and handsome qualities. The other half boasted a dull blue hue, dark enough that it seemed to cast a shadowy aura. Though she was still very young, her face had a vicious and fierce intensity. Odin gestured, and the crowd fell silent.
4: The snake Jormungand is already much too large to keep him in Asgard. There is only one place that I can think of that could contain this beast. A being. We shall put him in the Midgard Ocean.
2: Odin commanded that the first of Loki's children be banished to the Midgard Sea, an ocean that surrounded the land of humans. There the snake could grow incredibly large without obstruction. And grow it did, until it was so big it wrapped around all of Midgard and bit its own tail.
4: The girl Hel is of a divine nature. She shall journey down to the world below and govern over the dead that do not die on the battlefield.
2: Odin sent Loki's only daughter, Hel, down to the Underworld, which soon became the land also known as Hel. There she ruled over the dead that did not die an honorable death on the battlefield. She became queen of this kingdom and would reign until Ragnarok.
4: And the wolf. The wolf shall stay in Asgard to be raised as one of the Aesir, he shall share our meals and fight by our side against the Frost Giants.
1: Thank you, all, Father. It is an honor to live amongst such great beings as you.
2: The crowd leapt back. They did not know the wolf could speak. Loki smiled at his son's eloquence. Yes, he would make a fine addition to their ranks. Loki felt as though a great weight had left his body and his breathing started to return to normal. Odin had done well in his judgement. Their monstrous appearance and undeniable power, of course, posed a threat to the gods, but Loki knew with proper care they would grow to be sympathetic like their father. Weeks passed and Loki watched the wolf Fenrir from a distance with a kind of feigned indifference. If he showed too much emotion, the gods would surely use it to their advantage. Tyr took the wolf under his wing, feeding him, training him, teaching him the ways of the gods. This was good. Tyr was a logical and straightforward god. It would help the wolf to understand a sense of justice. The wolf continued to grow. A day passed, and his shoulders reached Tyr's own. A week, and he had to crouch through Asgard's doors, Loki heard the gods speak of Fenrir in
4: awe. He's quite clever wits enough about him to keep up with even his father. I've never seen a wolf his size. He could challenge me with his strength. His memory is vast and thorough. He retains even the smallest of details.
2: Loki was proud. His son would make a formidable ally to the Aesir indeed. And then, one day he heard a strange chorus of shouts, jovial laughter, and ferocious growling. He followed the voices to a rocky outcrop where the towering silhouette of his son hovered over jagged peaks. Even from a distance, he could see Fenrir's muscles straining intensely against some unseen force. With every pulse of his muscles, the laughter grew fuller and menacing. As he approached, he was able to hear their voices more distinctly.
4: Come now, pup. It's just a ribbon. Surely it cannot be that binding. (laughs) This is the great Fenrir, then? They've written prophecies about you, boy. Is this pathetic effort how you plan to live out your destiny?
2: Loki soon rounded a corner, and the whole scene came into view. At first, it looked as though his son was struggling against the air itself. But when Loki strained his eyes... He saw that the thinnest of ribbons were wrapped around the wolf's neck and paws. A great sword was shoved into Fenrir's mouth, forcing his jaw to remain open. The gods stood around the wolf. All were laughing and taunting him, save for Tyr, whose arm was severed at the wrist where blood openly dripped on the floor. His face was pale, and his expression conflicted. Fenrir had somehow managed to bite off the god's hand in the struggle that left him bound. The rest of them threw trees and rocks at the wolf, which hardly caused Fenrir to flinch, but left large gashes along his flank. As the great red droplets fell to the stone below, they splashed onto the gods, causing them to laugh harder, some of them doubling over in amusement. The rage flooded into Loki like a great and violent storm. His body shook, and the earth trembled below him. They stopped laughing, and their pathetic faces turned to Loki, and when they saw he was there for the first time, they hung their heads in abhorrent guilt. It was all there, their hypocrisy, their cowardice, their disgusting shame.
1: What? have you done?
2: His words were slow and deliberate, and echoed off the canyon walls between him and the gods. Fenrir, his son, was still alive, but he was bound in impossibly tight bindings. The wolf fruitlessly pulled against the chains, but with every effort they only seemed to grow tighter. The gods had created a chasm between themselves and Loki a chasm that neither Loki nor the Aesir would ever cross again, a chasm that promised the coming of the apocalypse.
1: What have you done?
2: Coming up, we'll find out about the consequences of binding the wolf Fenrir.
0: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries, for some,
1: and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
2: Now, back to the story. The Binding of Fenrir is an example of a recurring motif in the Norse mythos, that of the bound monster, waiting somewhere in the nine worlds until the end of days. When the gods had discovered that Loki gave birth to three children, they were afraid. Odin knew the most about the prophecies of Ragnarok, and understood that the children might be a deadly threat to the gods, especially considering their father had a somewhat dark nature. Odin, who always tried to alter the hands of fate, was quick to act. He ordered the children to be retrieved, and when the gods looked upon the children, the fear was affirmed. Jormungand, the Great Serpent, was banished to the great ocean that circles Midgard. So large did he grow that he wrapped around the whole world and bit his own tail. Hel, Loki's only daughter, was sent to rule over the underworld, which took on the same name. Fenrir, the wolf, was brought to Asgard, where he was raised amongst the gods but when he showed a clever nature like his father and continued to grow and grow to impossible size, the gods became afraid once more. They devised a plan and appealed to Fenrir's ego, claiming that if he showed his ability to break free from their chains, he would truly prove to be one of the strongest warriors of the world. Fenrir broke the first set of chains and then the second, but when the gods approached him with a third, chains that looked to be little more than a ribbon, he grew skeptical. He made one of the gods promise to leave their hand in his jaws, lest they tried to trick him. Tyr volunteered and stuck his hands in the wolf's mouth while the gods bound him with a chain known as Gleipnir. When he could not escape, he bit off Tyr's hand. So ferocious were his gnashing jaws that the gods shoved a sword in his mouth so he could not close it. The drool from his spittle was so great that it formed a mighty river. This binding was a great betrayal. Little could the gods see that by binding Fenrir, they had guaranteed his hatred and assured that he would side against them at Ragnarok. But worse, the treatment of his children awoke something dark in Loki. Where there had once been laughter and tricks, there was now malice. Where there had once been the desire for adventure and glory, there was now only a penchant for chaos and greed. Where there was once friendship, there was now revenge. He first heard of it in the dining hall. He still sat amongst the gods, but now he felt alone, as if he was always the end of their jokes, hidden from their mocking, cowardly secrets. He focused tensely on his cup of mead, but kept his ears fixated on the nearby conversation. The twins Frey and Freya told Thor about the fate of his brother Baldr. Odin, Baldr's father, had several bad dreams he wished interpreted. In seeking the answers to his troubled nights, a witch told Odin that his son Baldr was destined to die to the hands of his brother, Hoder. Frigg, Odin's wife and Baldr's mother, despaired hearing the news. She went to every speck of matter in the universe and pleaded with it to refrain from harming her son. Beloved as Baldr was, everything in the cosmos agreed to Frigg's demands. Baldr was essentially invulnerable. Thor delighted in the news.
4: We should make a game of it. (laughs) How fantastic a game this shall be. We'll all throw the most dangerous of weapons at my brother and see if he lives. Does
1: something we say interest you, son of Lauvoy? I am interested in all manners of challenging fate, son of Odin. Think you're strong enough to harm Baldur when I cannot, then? (laughs) I do, in fact, son of Odin. I am an agent of fate, the Hand of the Norns. When your egos grow so large as to think you are above the way of things, I shall be your retribution. I shall make sure the end is reached. If Balder is supposed to die, I shall be sure that he does.
2: Loki was furious. The audacity of the gods of Asgard continued to astound him. When it comes to his children, they assure their destiny by forcing them to hate the gods but when it is balder, they try to change the entire nature of the universe to save him. The hypocrisy made him sick. His body vibrated with a frenzied rage as he paced back and forth in his rooms. But then he looked over at the fire in his chambers. It flickered this way and that, dancing upon the thick logs. The coals on the wood flared this way and that, It ate and devoured methodically. He sat before it and was calm once more. He saw now that it was all part of the same thing, an intricate and complex web woven before time itself came into existence. They were all tangled within it, and no matter how hard they fought or struggled, the net would only strengthen and hold them tighter within it. By trying to avoid the coming of Ragnarok, The gods were, in fact, promising it. Odin's knowledge of the prophecy was, in a sense, the very thing that brought it about. His children would always be banished. He would always swear revenge. Baldr would always die. Loki disguised himself as a maiden and went to Frigg, Baldr's mother and Odin's wife. There's a great ruckus at the assembly hall, Frigg, greatest of all the goddesses. It is so clamorous I fear my own safety if I investigate myself. Pray tell, do you know what is the cause of this chaos? Frigg's smile was both arrogant and infuriating all at once, shattering the recent peace and calm Loki had found within himself.
3: I do in fact know, my dear maiden, all things in the universe have sworn an oath not to harm my son Baldr. The gods of Asgard have made a game of it and are throwing weapons at him to prove the point. Truly? All things in the universe? The giants in Jotunheim, the wolves in Midgard, and the dwarves in Nidavellir. The stones below our feet and the trees above our head. The sweet-smelling flowers and the foul-smelling muck of the swamp. Nothing more shall harm my son."
2: Surely this is too great a task, even for you, Goddess Frigg, to ask everything in the universe. Well? Well? There is
3: one thing. It was ever so hard to track down. Surely it was nothing dangerous? No, it is not a dangerous thing at all. It is the mistletoe, in fact. Such a measly and small plant, it could never dream of harming my son.
2: (laughs) Hardly a dangerous plant at all. No wonder you skipped it. Baldr shall live forever with such a caring and careful mother.
3: I thank you for your kind words, but now that you know there is no danger to be had, you should go see the effects of my labor firsthand.
2: Armed with the information he needed, Loki tracked down the mistletoe. He fashioned the plant to the end of a spear and approached the hall where a great ruckus continued to clamor. The gods gathered around Baldr, who stood at the center of the hall, arms folded in a grand, triumphant posture.
3: I'm putting everything
1: I have into this one, brother. Try not to flinch.
2: With a great boulder the size of a man's head gripped in his hands, Thor took three charging paces and flung the rock with all his strength at Balder. The boulder headed straight for Balder's head, then stopped suddenly and crashed to the floor. Loki surveyed the scene with disgust, until his eyes found Baldur's brother, Hodr, standing near the back of the crowd.
1: Why do you not participate with your brethren and toss things at your brother? What fun they are having! Is that you, son of Lavoy? Don't make jokes with me, you know that I am blind. And should such a small ailment prevent you from enjoying the festivities? Oh, it is too risky. What if I miss and strike another god? They shall shame me for my blindness and my stupidity. And if I guide your hand and direct you where to aim, would you want a chance at throwing? Perhaps even Thor would commend you for making a great throw despite your lack of sight. I'll even camouflage myself so they shall not know you've had guidance. For me, you would do such a thing, Loki? Perhaps the things the gods have said about you are all wrong.
2: And so Loki placed his mistletoe spear in Hodr's hands and directed his arm toward Baldr.
1: Announce yourself, so you may receive the glory you deserve. Behold Hod, son of Odin! Without eyes, he shall still loose the truest spear of all the gods.
2: Then Hodor let the spear fly. Thus, Baldr, son of Odin and Frigg, most beloved of all the gods, was murdered by his brother, Hodr. Coming up, we'll find out how this death cast a dark shadow over the gods.
0: Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. it. Paid for by NHTSA. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush
2: The death of Baldr is considered one of the great tragedies of Norse mythology. Certain accounts of the story vary, but the most prominent is the one where Loki tricks an unsuspecting and blind Hodr into slaying his brother. It marks a significant turning point not just in the overall story of the Norse gods, but also in our understanding of Loki. Up until this moment, Loki's mischief had a lighthearted nature to it. He stole things, or challenged giants, or made silly gambles. But here we cross into a much darker threshold. It's unclear what change comes over Loki to ignite this cruel desire for retribution. It might be his repeated scapegoating, or the hypocrisy of the gods, or simply he is as truly evil as the gods proclaim him to be, However, it seems he's probably pushed to this fate due more to the gods' own designs and desires to skirt the coming of Ragnarok. The death of Baldr, after all, is the first sign that Ragnarok is close at hand. The days that follow prove quite troublesome for the gods. First, Odin slept with the giantess Rind, who bore a son named Vali. In a single day, Vali grew into a full-grown man and cut down Hoder in revenge. Then Frigg gathered all the gods and asked for a volunteer to ride to the underworld and try to convince Hel to let her son Baldr go. Hemrod, one of Odin's sons, volunteered and took his father's horse, Sleipnir, to travel into the underbelly of the Nine Worlds. The gods held a funeral that creatures from all over the universe attended. Hemrod returned soon after the funeral, claiming that Hel had told him if every creature was truly sad about the passing of Baldur, she would release him back to the world. The gods traveled far and wide, begging every creature to weep for Baldur. All creatures did so, save one giantess named Thok, who said coldly,
3: Let Hell hold what she has.
2: Many thought Thok to be Loki in disguise, though no one was brave enough to voice this opinion. This was how the gods handled things, with a reactionary and violent impulse. The Norse pantheon is filled with emotional and imperfect deities, embedded with a morality that seems lost to time. Though he's an intelligent god, Loki, too, is an incredibly emotional creature, slave to his impulses and quick to lose his temper, especially as Ragnarok approached. The feast in Ægir's Hall disgusted him. They were only recently removed from Baldr's death, and the gods drank and celebrated and boasted as if this were a day like any others. Loki's fury only grew knowing that if he were to set the hand of fate right again, he would have to do more to grab their attention. So when the gods complimented an innocent servant of Aegir's named Firmafeng, Loki withdrew a dagger and stabbed him. The gods were angry and shook their fists and stomped their feet like children and told Loki to leave the hall at once. He obeyed, but only for a very brief moment there was darkness and chaos in his heart. Loki, drunk and frustrated, approached the hall once again. The servant Eldir tried to stand in his path, but Loki insisted on entering. The servant pleaded, but there was little he could do to stop the determined god from entering the hall. The gods tried to stop Loki from joining them and told him that he was unwelcome in the hall.
1: Unwelcome. Odin, was it not you who swore a blood oath to always share your drink with me?
4: Aye, Father of the Wolf. I did make that agreement.
1: Fabulous. Let's make a seat for Loki then and get quite drunk.
2: First, Bragi the Bard spoke against him. He claimed Loki was already quite drunk enough and needn't indulge further. Loki smiled as he heard the words. It was the type of challenge he reveled in, a challenge of insults and wit.
1: Oh, braggy! It's good you have had a drink or two, for your cowardice is maybe starting to drown away. Perhaps have a few more, and you should be able to stand up and speak your mind to my face.
2: (laughs) Then Idun and Gevyun both spoke, trying to temper the tension in the hall, but Loki spat back at them both, accusing them of actions that made their cheeks flush, but that they could not deny.
4: Are you mad, Loki? To challenge Gev'un so? She knows the fate of the gods like I know the fate of the gods, like you know the fate of the gods. Beware stepping on the wrong toes, lest we share that fate to the whole of this hall.
1: Oh, hush, Odin. You know as well as I your hand in our undoing. Says the man who traveled the world as a maiden. (laughs) Says the man who traveled amongst men as a witch. (laughs)
4: Calm yourself, Loki. This hall is not the place for such trivial insult.
1: Once, Tyr, I would listen to you as a friend. But it seems that Fenrir ended any chance of that when he bit off your hand.
4: Aye, and now he is bound until Ragnarok.
1: Which all of you sit here and drink and pretend to ignore, but we all know is soon. You're drunk, Loki. You don't mean these things. And you, Heimdall, must be drunk to have to stand still as a statue guarding Asgard.
2: (laughs) Heimdall held his tongue, for as the guard of the Bifrost Bridge, he did in fact spend most of his days simply standing in one place. The gods continued to insult Loki, and Loki continued to fire back, calling the women loose and the men cowards, saying things filled with enough truth to silence them. He told them the weaknesses they were all afraid of. He said the things everyone wanted to, but no one had the courage to speak out loud. Then Frigg spoke. If only Balder were here.
1: If Balder were here, says Frigg, the goddess that tried to battle fate. If Baldr were here, then what?
3: Then he would silence you and pound you to a pulp.
1: But he is not here, Frigg. He stays with my daughter and keeps her bed warm at night. And it was I who sent him there. I, Loki, son of Lalvoy, who you bastards call the Trickster and the God of Mischief. Who you punish again and again. It was I who this time punished you and guided Hod's hand to kill his brother. I'm not a fortnight removed from what you call a great tragedy, and yet you sit here and drink and trade jokes with Loki. Pathetic. All of you. Who is pathetic? Why, Thor, I was just complimenting. It is time for you to leave this place, son of Låvoy. As you say, son of Odin, after all, You are the only one amongst these cowards who might live up to his word.
2: And so Loki left the hall to the stunned silence. The gods knew that such an admission could not go unpunished. Loki would have to be dealt with. But not until morning. The gods were rather enjoying the meal and they wouldn't want a minor inconvenience to put a stop to their revelry. But then the chase would commence. They would find Loki and they would be sure that he suffered. Next week, we'll witness Loki's terrible fate and the coming of Ragnarok. You can listen to Mythology and all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, CastBox, or your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review while you're there. We'll be back next week. Mythology was created by Max Cutler is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Mythology is written by Drew Cole. I'm Vanessa Richardson.